0: We need to be known, not for what we don't believe in or don't agree with, but what we love, how we love people. And that's what matters ultimately. And from there, you can have a conversation about faith, right, wrong, right, all that morality and all that stuff. If you don't love people, you have no way.
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Anything Goes Podcast. As you can tell, I am not Jeremy, Pastor Jeremy. My name is Caitlin Korzen, and I am the Ministry Associate for Global and Local Mission here at Village Church. Over the next few episodes, I am doing a takeover where we dive into some of the nitty-gritty of our local and global ministries and what it means for the church. Um, This COVID moment has been really impactful for people considering, what is going on in my local community? What are the needs? How can I be involved? And so this really sparked on a bigger conversation of what really is the church's role? I'm really excited for our guest today. He's actually one of the newest members of our team, Fanu Ait. He's the regional director of our Ontario sites. And yeah, Fanu, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself?
0: Caitlin, first off, I am so grateful to be on the podcast with you. Uh, uh, this is great. Uh, well, the Anything Goes series has been cool because we get to talk about uh, a whole bunch of different stuff and uh, missions is so close to my heart. So I'm thrilled to be on. So thank you for asking uh, me to be a guest on the podcast today. Uh, yeah, so like you said, uh, renew, uh, newly minted uh, regional director for Ontario and the whole idea is we're going to get to plant a bunch of sites all across uh, the uh, most populated province in uh, the country. And obviously, we're going to start off in the greater Toronto area. Um, A little bit about myself. Uh, Well, I... uh, uh, I'm married. My wife's name is Trisha. Uh, we've got uh, two daughters, um, Lauren, who's just uh, two and a half, and Catherine, who just turned five months old. Uh, so yeah, we're just in that phase of life where uh, we have tons of sleepless nights uh, and, uh, and lots of diaper changes and uh, bottles and all of that good stuff. Uh, yeah, and in Ontario right now, and uh, weather's great, Caitlin. It's Good. crazy, you've been having spring like weather in November, like
1: that's like, not literally. normal for the prairies. That it's is normal. not
0: normal. So, you know, I was in Vancouver for a few weeks, obviously, yeah. and it's warmer here and sunnier, <coughs> sunnier <Yeah. laughs> uh, because you know how it is in Vancouver, but uh, yeah, it's like it's like spring 20 plus degrees. Uh, for the last four or five days in the middle of November. And it was funny, on the news last night, they were showing, a somebody sent a picture in of last year, November 11, and it was like, we had a whole dump of snow, I don't know how many centimeters, but it was covered all across Ontario and, uh, and the, the temperature was in, the, in a minus 10 or minus 15. So, uh, loving it in Ontario right now.
1: But yeah, we definitely loved having you and Trisha here and the girls, what a time to have little ones as you're launching multiple new cl- locations in a whole new region, but you guys yeah. are dynamic duo. I think you'll do it.
0: Yeah, we're, uh, we're praying. And uh, you know what? what's amazing about it, uh, Caitlin, is that, uh, and we really appreciated this when we were in Vancouver with you guys, it's just the incredible team we have at Village and the support that comes with it. So, uh, you know, yes, we're starting off something new in Ontario, but uh, there's this massive team of people Uh, uh, you know, on staff and then thousands that are part of the Village Church family that are praying and rooting for us. And so we definitely appreciate that support. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's a pretty great team. Exciting to see how everybody works together to kind of get that one vision set out. Um, And I mean, part of the reason why we're having you on is, so one of our big focuses at Village Church is our local and global missions. And we really desire to see our city transformed by Jesus. And how we've done this is by mobilizing and um, scattering the church to see justice and empowerment advanced in our communities. And one of the things that you bring in is 15 plus years of a ministry called Passion to Reach. You founded it, started it, have been running it all these years. And it's really that framework of how do you mobilize the church to be in the community? And I know that you're stepping into the role of launching new locations, but you provide that framework as we expand our sites. What does that look like for our new sites to be in the community? Um, Would you be able to tell us a little bit more about your ministry and how that has looked?
0: Yeah, so I mean, the ministry actually started off when I was uh, 19. Um, So that's about, yeah, 15 years ago um, with global missions, actually. So we were doing a lot of uh, evangelistic preaching in different nations around the world and um, then about seven or eight years ago we really sensed that the lord wanted us to also focus in canada you know what we were doing is raising money in canada and then preaching the gospel in yeah 20 plus nations uh globally and so when we looked at canada you know we said okay let's work with churches locally in the greater toronto area and really the community focus and strategy Came about um, when I started working with the first church that I was uh, consulting with and uh, and helping them figure out how to reach new people with the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I met with their local city um, staff. You know, we were in a sort of a community round table, and the church had never really been active and consistent in, in those kinds of meetings in the community. And so I was at this round table and Uh, we were all introducing ourselves and you know i introduced myself as being from this church and, and they were like wow they're like you know we just don't know anyone at that church like we know the building and we know the name of the church but we just don't know the people of the church and at that point the church had been around for 40 plus years in that community so i thought to myself i said isn't that crazy that this church has been here for 43 or so years and no one actually knows?" people like the city don't doesn't they don't actually know people that are in leadership at the church and so obviously that means there's no partnership happening and i and I asked myself the question if this church left this location right now would anyone notice that they were gone and frankly apart from the building leaving I don't think they would know that any of the people had left because they just had no relationship. So that sort of informed the work that we started doing over the next couple of years with that church to say how can we become An essential service uh, in this community. In fact, uh, the uh, premier of Ontario at the time, Kathleen Wynne was talking about this idea of local community hubs. You know, Mm -hmm. this idea of like places where the community could gather and connect and build relationships and and have some of their needs met. And so I took that language and I said, why can't we make all of our churches community hubs? And and Caitlin, I I think this is part of the whole idea of why we exist as churches in communities. I mean, the the idea of a church that functions in a local area, I I think, is not only for people to drive in and have a great worship experience and a great sermon on a Sunday. It's also that there is a giving back to that local community from the people that gather in the church. Mm -hmm. So as you can imagine, my thoughts were, wait a minute. church has got a facility that's sitting empty for six days out of the seven in a week and they've got hundreds of people that innately believe that they ought to do something but obviously they haven't been provided opportunities to plug in uh to actually serve their community so i was like why can't we leverage the facility and the people to do things that the community needs and so that's what set us on this journey of, um, of just, yeah, how do we get the local church engaged in community? And it really started off, Caitlin, with just having conversations. Honestly, it wasn't rocket science, really. It was just like making phone calls, you know, saying, hey, can I, I'm a pastor at this church, you know, can I come over and talk to you? And I'd go to the local, um, you know, health uh, hub or health, community health center. Um, I'd go to the the different partners, like the the schools in the community. I'd go to the community centers. I'd go to the uh, youth centers and I'd just basically say, how can we serve the needs of our community? And so that's where it all started.
1: Yeah. I love that. And that's, I mean, it's so great hearing how you built that up. And then also that this has been the heart of Village since the beginning of launching our different locations. And now we kind of get a married to, we get the best of your experience and then kind of coupled with what we have been doing and just exponentially increase that, especially as we launch across our nation and who who knows where else, but that's incredible. Um, Some of the big things that we've seen is, you know, a lack of people getting involved. COVID was really interesting because I think there was this element of, yes, all of a sudden, or I guess people struggle with, there are so many options. How do you get involved? So you kind of get paralyzed a little bit of, where do I even go and get involved? There's so many issues in the city. Should I even be getting involved in these issues? You know, Is that really the responsibility of the church? Um, We've focused on the area of human trafficking. So we kind of bring in conversations around that. But I think there's a little bit of that pushback on, is that really the role of the church? And I mean, you could say the church institutionally or the church, the people of God. Um, kind of what have been some of the challenges that you've seen for people wanting to get involved in the needs of a city?
0: Well, I think uh, firstly, it's it's perception. How do we perceive, where do we perceive our place is in a community, right? Uh, part of what I experienced when I first started working and doing community work through the church was you know, I looked at it. The way I looked at it, I saw three circles, three sort of areas of influence, right, in a community. So the one there's government. So government, obviously, especially uh, city council, regional council, they're interested in ensuring the health and well-being of people in the community, especially those that may be struggling. So it could be, you know, young people uh, that are in broken homes or single mothers or people that are under the poverty line or brand new immigrants that have a hard time connecting in the community, etc. Then you have nonprofit agencies. So a lot of these nonprofits that are set up to serve one specific need and community group or the other. Uh, and then you have businesses. So businesses obviously exist in a community because they want to serve people in that community. And that's how they make their, their money. The revenue comes in by serving. And they, and they have a vested interest in the community does well, because the better the community does, the better their business is going to do. And what I found was the three, these three layers, they weren't talking to each other. So I looked at it and I said, you know, the church is right in the middle, in the center of this community. What if we could be the hub of communication now between the government and the nonprofit agencies and businesses? So that's literally what we started working on is to communicate to the church. This is our role. Our role is to be peacemakers. Our role is to become mediators in a community, to bring people together along the the cause and the purpose and the mission of seeing people in our community helped and seeing progress happen in our community. So, so I think that's number one. It, you gotta convince people that this is not just a nice to do. This is part of what we're called to do in our community. And, and and Caitlin, this is why we have sites, right? This is why we have you know we have Surrey uh, in the lower mainland, we have Surrey, then we have Langley South, and then we have Langley North, and then we have Coquitlam. I mean. Technically, on a Sunday morning, you could drive uh, instead of going to Langley North to Langley South or instead of going to Langley South to Surrey or whatever. It's not that much more of a drive. But why do we have these sites? Part of the reason is we want local representation. We want to to be a key player in that specific community. And I think when you allow people to see it that way, that this is why we exist, I think you get so much more buy-in for their money, for their time, for their talents to actually be used in the community. So, now having said that, once they understand that, some of the probably the biggest ones that I've seen is, yeah, definitely time, we you know, we fill our lives with a lot of stuff, like we just do a lot, right? Uh, especially if you're, you know, if you're a family with, with kids that are playing sports or doing music and different things, then I mean, every evening in the week, uh, a lot of times is taken up. So it's, it's casting vision to say, You know, God deserves a part of your time. And if I can even address some of the families that are listening to us, I believe, and I've seen this firsthand, it will go so long, so far in your children's um, formation, uh, you know, Christian formation, missional formation, Jesus formation, for them to see your family. Serving in your community. Like I'm telling you, you can take your kids to every church service in the world. But if you go out and serve people with your children, by the way, not just, you know, you guys stay at home and I'm dad and mom are gonna do it. No, come with us. We're gonna pack those bags together. We're gonna, you know, paint that wall and that school together. We're gonna be involved together. Man, that is rubber meets the road. And people are like, you know what? I didn't grow up, I didn't grow up in a hypocritical uh, Christian home. I grew up in a Christian home where we actually practiced. Yeah. What we preach. And I think that's powerful. So I think I definitely redeeming time is a huge part.
1: Yeah. No, I just want to say I'm actually a living example of my family serving. My dad was in construction growing up, but he was on the board for a shelter in Edmonton where we're from. And so he would bring us and have meals and sometimes he'd build connections with some of the guys. And on Christmas, we would have some of the guys he had met through the shelter come join us. And so it really cultivated. It wasn't We never, they never lived in fear of the type of people they brought us around. They had a faith in Jesus and um, that, you know, we learned how to deal with, connect with people, not deal with people, connect with people who were vastly different than us, vastly different than the social circles that we would have hung around, vastly different than the people that usually would show up to church. And that really became communion. So I think that cultivated in me particular in a young age, um, just that love for all types of people and the importance. Yeah. You can bring your kids into that and, you know, packing Christmas gifts and those sorts of things are awesome too, but it's also engaging in people and just showing people, your kids how to love people. Um, So that's a really good point. And yeah, we have a church full of families. And so this is, I think a really important piece for them.
0: Yeah. And I think part of it also, when you say, what are some of the challenges? And I know I'm sort of dealing with some of the challenges that are sort of under the surface, but I think a lot of times this is the kind of stuff that informs um, the decisions we make when it comes to if we serve in local mission or not, as just believers in Jesus and followers of Christ, um, is accepting the fact, embracing the reality that we are living in exile. You know, Kevin Palau, um, a friend of mine uh, who is part of the Luis Palau uh, evangelistic association they do a lot of work in communities you know he sort of introduced me to this sort of language the other day we were talking about this and i like the way he framed it because part of the challenge caitlin is and why people disengage from local mission is well i've been serving in that you know shelter for five months caitlin five months i've been doing this and no one's come to jesus yet why are we doing this again you know and it's like this idea that we expect instant results of people following Jesus and people becoming Christian and all of that.
1: Appreciation. Yes. Appreciation people. You're like, I've been serving you for five months now and I haven't received a single thank you. Like this is dumb.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, you know, we have to accept the fact that we're living in exile and, and the world we're living in may never accept or celebrate or thank or Follow us to church, etc., etc. That's not the point, right? We're not doing it so they will do something in return for us. We're doing it because in exile, in the sort of foreign culture, if you will, um, that's not you know based on the Bible, based on the kingdom. We want them to get a glimpse of the kingdom. We want them to get a glimpse of the King of our kingdom. Like, what is our King like? How does He talk? How does He interact? How does He serve? How does He care? for the needs of people. And I think that's the point. And, and if you can walk away from you know serving at that school or serving at that shelter or serving at that community center, walk away and say, man, I, I demonstrated my King well today. I think that's the reward, Caitlin. This is the point. We get to do that. That's the privilege we have. And what God does with that and how that ends up in their life, eventually at some point, we leave that up to Him. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's probably you know definitely a huge part of the the challenge is when people understand that's what we're called to do. It just settles them from the high expectation of whatever results they're hoping they will see, yeah. uh, and and they're more content to say serving is the result, serving is the reward, um, ultimately.
1: Yeah. Someone's told me um, the blessing is in giving and it's not going in thinking that you're going to help everyone and kind of mitigating some of that savior complex, but you're just going in to love and to serve. And that's really what we're called to do. So in building connections, what do you think builds trust with people? I know there's been some controversy of churches getting involved and people not wanting churches And What have you seen that has actually built trust with the church in the community?
0: I think one is long-term commitment, consistent mm-hmm. service. Part of the challenge, I think, a lot of times in in the way we think as churches is we'd rather be project-based, right? It's mm-hmm. like, we'll just, you know, it's like you're talking about that savior mentality or that parachute in, parachute out kind of idea. And I think it's very hard to build trust when you do that. And, you know, even in our experience working with churches, we always come in not with, hey, we would like to do this project, Mr. Counselor at the city, right? It's like, hey, we would like to get to know you. Mm-hmm. What are some of the challenges you're facing in your, you know, region, your ward that you're overseeing, right? And so, you know, like when we go to a city council, like, okay, let's say they're, they oversee Ward 7, you know, okay, what's happening in Ward 7? Mm-hmm. How do we, so, so building an understanding, seeking to learn and listen more than tell and instruct, is what I find starts that trust, trusted relationship long term. Is I'm we're not we're not coming to you telling you we know what to do. We're asking you inform us, give us information that will help us understand the needs, and then from there saying we want to partner with you. See, part of the challenge with a lot of churches is, and we literally demonstrated this with a church over many years, is we said you know what we're not going to do anything that our church is doing. We're just going to be a supporting organization for what they're already doing. See, part of what happens is often is we duplicate stuff, right? Because we're like, oh, no, no, no. It has to have the Village Church banner. If it doesn't have the Village Church banner, we're not going to do it. And it's like, now there's a place for that. Don't get me wrong. At some point, we could do that as well. But when you start off, you want to say, you know what? Whatever banner is up there when that, you know, back to school event happens with backpacks going out to kids, as long as we can help get backpacks to kids, that's the win. And the more you do that, people say, oh, wow, okay, they're not just about their name. They're not just about, you know, their brand. They're they're actually about the community. And the longer you do that consistently, the more trust you build uh, with people. And obviously, I mean, I this almost, I feel, doesn't need to be, um, you know, said out loud, but maybe it does. It's that, you know, you're not going in there trying to recruit people to come to church on Sunday, right? Like that's just not, the deal that's not the framework that you have to operate in it has to be a framework of we're here to serve and love and give and then you leave uh what god does with that you leave that up to the lord to do um but yeah those are sort of my thoughts mm. uh when it comes to trust and uh because again I, like i said the, the the challenge caitlin is it's not what i want to do it's what mm-hmm. is the city what does the city need what does this community need and i've got to. i've got a, I've got a you know, figure out how to reposition some of the stuff, the resources I have to meet that need. I think that's absolutely key for trust.
1: Yeah, that partnership and interagency working together in multiple churches. I think that's where we have some great impact. And then the community actually trusts you exactly what you need. Because it's not about that one name being on there. It's, hey, we're working together because we love you collectively. Um, That's kind of, I'm thinking, you know, that's more on an organizational so to speak, side of things. But then what about for the individual? You know, what helps? How can an individual build trust within the community um, and really have an impact in the community? I think people wonder, yeah, how can I be involved? How do I make a difference? Kind of what does that look like?
0: I I think part of it is there is before. See, when we talk community, what does that mean? Community means a collective, collective of people that live in an area generally that's what mm-hmm. you know what we what we mean when we say community and it's like i often tell people first get to know your neighbors before you want to go serve the the community in mm-hmm. quotes right because it's like if you don't know the people that live actually live around you the the community is more of those kinds of people so mm-hmm. you might as well start with some relationship building and trust building and Getting to know the kinds of people that actually live in your neighborhood mm-hmm. before you start going out and building uh, relationships in the community where you want to serve and where you want to give to, uh, and I think it informs a lot of the, just the cultural pieces of how they may be different from how you know how you do life or how what you believe or how you go about you know doing things. Um, and then secondly, I think when you can do things in community for the community, mm-hmm. that goes much farther than just doing it on your own. So again, you know, to your point of doing it as an individual, COVID is a great example because people that are listening to this that are part of our village family probably can't always join a village thing because of all the restrictions and stuff that's going on. But let's say, for instance, they're in a community they want to serve and, again, following all COVID rules and all of that, Mm -hmm. um, that if they're able to do that, it's like imagine if they would actually build community and then go to the community to serve that community. So there's people that you're taking with you. There's a collective that you're putting together that sort of have the same heart, the same passion, the same you know area of service that they want to get involved in. I think if you do it do it that way, you'll you'll actually have a longer term impact because it's not just one person. Like you know, if you can't go next week Tuesday, you've got five others that have bought into what you want to do for that local community uh, agency. Uh, That will go even if you can't make it and then secondly when people see that you've actually built uh, a Following of people that care about the need of that group of people. They're like wow this person's really invested Mm -hmm. It's not just a you know, I'm a COVID project because they have nothing to do. They're working from home They're just bored. So they come here a couple of times and that's pretty much, you know, that's all it's gonna be But it's like wow, they've actually talked to five other people. They've actually, you know, raised some money They've actually done something Uh, They actually care for us. This actually is a legit thing. And I think that opens up a lot more opportunity for trust. I'm not saying that's, you know, it's for granted. Nothing when it comes to relationships can be taken for granted. But it definitely, uh, I think, uh, sets you up better for a longer-term relationship and partnership.
1: There is a piece on that that you actually talked about, of being someone who brings people alongside to go serve. And I've actually seen that quite a bit. I think we think that people or the challenge in getting people to get involved, you know, in certain local initiatives or for a certain cause, not everyone will have that instant passion for it. I think it sometimes takes, we talk about the proximity principle quite a bit, of it actually takes being placed in that environment, outside of your regular environment, in a new environment, to actually care about the needs within that environment. Um, Being separate from it, you don't have, yeah, you, you don't have names in mind, you don't have the people in mind, the stories, But then actually when you're placed in that environment, I've seen lots of spouses will bring their spouse into, you know, working with youth who are at risk or um, other types of ministries. And then it's actually the spouse that ends up getting connected because they see, oh, maybe my skill sets can be used here to reach these youth in a way that I never thought or would have expected um, to happen. So yeah, lots of ways for people to, yeah, draw in other people into the mission of it. Do you see there's a lot of fear around individuals wanting to get involved, especially, you know, human trafficking or um, some of those bigger issues of injustice? Um, Have you seen in your work a lot of people that don't want to get involved because of fear? And kind of what would you say to people who have fear around getting involved?
0: Yeah, I mean, I've seen it on two levels. Organizationally, you know, this is, uh, I guess, surprising. It was surprising to me when I first sort of uh, had to confront it organizationally a lot of churches actually operate in fear of how the church will be perceived in the community um, if they get involved and, and you would almost take that for granted like of course they're going to look at you in a positive light but but some churches feel like if we get involved um you know they'll be will be viewed as though we're trying to we're, we have a ulterior motive there's an agenda behind us getting involved so they're like we don't want to do that we'd just rather maybe give money to an agency and not really get physically involved in helping out because of the way we'll be perceived. Um, there's also the fear of liability. A lot of, you know, organizations are, are you know, I guess afraid. I don't know if that's the right word to use, but they are cautious uh, because of, you know, what if something goes wrong when we're partnering with other agencies in a larger event or, you know, somebody gets uh, in trouble, someone slips, someone falls. I mean, every kind of thing you can imagine. So a lot of boards are like, let's not do it because we don't want the liability. Um, and then thirdly, there are also people that, churches that don't do it because of their donors, their givers not being for that kind of thing. Cause there's actually a lot of people, Caitlin, that you know think when we give money to the church, it should stay in the church. Like this is for the church. And why are we spending all this money and our resources and our time helping people that probably never come to our church. And so organizationally, a lot of people don't get involved because of those voices. Uh, from a personal standpoint, I think part of the fear is that I'll be rejected. Like I will not be accepted, and it's I, I get that to some extent because if you live in a Christian bubble, you're not quite sure what you're going to experience when you step out of that bubble to serve people. And so, and, and you know, for people that grew up in a Christian home and sort of have always been around. Uh, Christian experiences, it can definitely be intimidating, you know? Uh, And then secondly, that there's oftentimes when there isn't an open door for you as a believer, as a Christian to get involved in the community. Sometimes you have to knock on doors and sometimes you have to knock on them a couple of times before the doors actually open up. And so uh, I I think that's definitely something that people struggle with. But what I found is this, Bold love is very hard to reject over time. Bold love. Like when you consistently, lovingly are bold in your approach to wanting to serve and get involved, eventually the door's open for you. Eventually people say, you know what? Yeah, you guys are pretty consistent and you are unrelenting in mm-hmm. your love for these people and, or for this community or for this demographic. And so if you really care that much, Sure, come on in, join us, be a part of this, let's do this together. And so I think that's a huge piece. This is what Jesus was known for, right? Compassion. And part of compassion is understanding, getting a sense of where this person is at. And I, I, I always say this, if the spirit that was in Jesus lives in us, then that same gift of compassion will kick in when you put yourself in that position of interacting with that person. And you'll build connections that you never knew you could. So yeah, definitely. Don't be afraid of not relating and connecting. Be bold, step in, and watch what God does.
1: How important really is it for reaching communities with that consistency and actually challenging ourselves to be consistent?
0: Yeah, I think part of the, uh, probably the greatest uh, challenge of Western uh, thinking is we are results driven, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And uh, part of the Um, challenge with that is you cannot produce results in relationships. Like relationships Mm -hmm. um, are more organic um, than, you know, I guess a set of leadership, you know, strategy uh, principles, right? You know, do, do step one, two, and three, and we're going to get this result. And 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 again, you're right. Churches actually fall into this a lot because we sit in a boardroom and we say, yep, next year, 2021, we're going to do these three things and here's what's going to happen. Right? And then you have a local mission person or somebody that has a passion for the community that becomes the person that executes on it. And it doesn't quite pan out like that. And so mm-hmm. I, I think you definitely have to walk in relationship first mm-hmm. and commitment first versus results first. I think that's you know, it, it's hard. I mean, I could talk about that topic for a whole hour because I've seen it. Like you're right, and I'm sure you've seen it, Caitlin, in in your partnerships and your work and stuff. It's like people will pick this and they'll do this for six months and then they'll switch to this and they'll switch to that because it's like, okay, I'm not seeing the results I want, so let's try this, let's try that. Because again, part of it is we have a PowerPoint to show our donors at the end of the year, and if the PowerPoint's not going to look good based on what's going on right now. Let's switch and do something else. And uh Honestly, I think, you know, that's the the struggle, relationships um, versus results. And I would say if you want long-term effectiveness, go with relationship first. Go with a relationship first model. That's going to give you a better uh, return on your investment of time, talent, and treasure uh, than if you just said, you know, results here, results there, three months, two months, six months. Uh, And you'll, you'll, you'll spend five years doing that and you will not have seen any level of consistent, um, impact in the community.
1: Yeah. Uh, Well said. Yeah. I came up with a saying recently or this past year of people take time. You recognize in your own self of how much time it takes and even working with people, it could take 15 years before someone gets it. And. But being able to journey along with people for that period of time, then to see that growth, that's where the beauty is and what God wants us to do. Um, Kind of, you talked a little bit about the global church and I absolutely, in my role, I love engaging with the global church of how God's created different cultures and his own expression in each of those. And so from your experience being to so many countries, working closely with so many churches, What do you think the global church can teach the Western church?
0: Wow. And are you speaking specifically in in the area of mission or just generally? Because that's a loaded
1: (laughs) (laughs) question. Maybe give us one point of both.
0: Okay. So I would say uh, generally speaking, overall, um, I think the the global church um, understands uh, prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the power of prayer a lot more than the Western church does. I mean, I think we we include prayer because it's like, well, of course, we've got to pray for a church uh, versus I think the Eastern church, especially and the Southern church, um, like, you know, in my travels to Brazil and mm-hmm. uh, the Caribbean or India and Africa, you know, there, there's just an appreci- appreciation of prayer and the power of prayer and the effectiveness of of connecting with god about whatever it is that we're doing Mm -hmm. um first and as a primary um you know method of effectiveness versus like like we'll pray like in the west right we'll pray but ultimately we're like well the effectiveness comes in how we execute right in the east they pray because they believe that time of prayer is actually what will create effectiveness more than what they're about to do in execution now i'm not saying there's no there, there aren't weaknesses in some of the execution on their end but i see the results when you compare the results when you look at the number of people um becoming followers of jesus in the southern hemisphere and the eastern hemisphere compared to what we're experiencing in the west where ultimately if you look at the big picture we've been on a decline now for a few decades um you know you look at it and you're like okay there's got to be something here that the eastern church the southern church is doing better than we are and i think uh to me from my personal experience i I think prayer and the commitment to uh consistent authentic deep um relational prayer so what i say when i and i use the word relational prayer meaning a prayer that's coming out of a deep relationship with god versus prayer that is more strategic you know like i hear a lot of strategic prayers in the west god we ask you to give us this inroad in this place and give us this financial person to fund this minute so we literally it's like sometimes you hear prayers in the west it's like wow you know a lot more god should be taking notes you your praying because he, he needs to know what to do here because you have the strategy you know versus more relational prayer that's like god here i am like i just i'm just giving myself to you I, honestly, I I don't know what to do, but I, I know our relationship and I'm just going to spend this time in your presence, asking you for revelation and wisdom and strategy on how you want this to work out. So I think generally speaking, sorry, that's a long answer, but that's, um, that's what I would say, um, from, uh, from a mission perspective, um, probably the biggest thing that I've experienced is activation. I think the Eastern Church and the Southern Church get activation better than we do. See, we have a propensity to focus on the expert, right? We would rather get somebody that's been to school, that's got some experience, that got that's got some cute principles that they can sort of, you know, communicate. Don't get me wrong; I'm not saying principles are not good, but it's like we prefer that because for us it's like, wow, that's succinct. Point she made or he made is so cool. Like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, let's get her to lead it. Let's get him to lead it. And it's like, well, the problem with that is it limits your actual reach when it comes to community engagement. Because what you need for community engagement is you need a a thousand people on the ground that are a level three in their um, competency, but a level 10 in their relationships. Mm-hmm. versus 10 people at a level 10 in their competency, but a level three in their relationships because they can't have relationships with all these people. So ultimately, they're going to deal with, hey, you know, we need the most bang for our buck. We need the most results for the time. And we only have 10 people here. We only have you know all these resources. So let's try to do these big one-off projects because we'll show big numbers versus let's activate a thousand people. So I think this, and you know, I mean, you know what, it's funny as I'm saying this, Caitlin, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to sound all smart here, but this is what Jesus calls making disciples, right? It's like, yeah. like this idea that you invest yourself in people that actually are the ones that do the work. And, and you say to yourself, we're willing to fail if our people don't do the work versus, yeah. okay, our people are not doing it. Let's just hire five people here. Let's get them to do the work. So it doesn't look bad in the church. And the Eastern church, they don't have the money, right? This is part of it. They don't have the money. So it's like, okay, guys, if we're going to get this done, we don't have a lot of staff. So we need you to mm-hmm. believe in this and actually get on the ground and do. And they do a good job of, you know, I do, you watch. Um, we do it together. You do, I watch. Now you do it on your own. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I've seen, like, I'll give you an example of a church that uh, in Ghana, West Africa, that I am connected to. Uh, they've planted 17,000 churches around the world, 17,000 churches. And the way they've planted 17,000 churches is you it's very hard for you, for you to be part of their church, a local assembly, and not be activated. You mm-hmm. will be activated. You will be given responsibilities. You will be asked to grow. And there's all these thresholds that they sort of have created where they know, okay, so what they do, this is how they plant, is that they have all these pastors that they're constantly raising up because you can't be in their church and not be activated. So uh, I I think that in a mission sense and in a gospel proclamation missions, serving the community sense, uh, Mm -hmm. is the strength of of the church globally.
1: Mm. That's really good. Yeah, and I actually think COVID's been an interesting time for other nations to be able to really step into that. I think for a time the Western mentality of, you know, we go into the places and we do four and that kind of thing. I think COVID's allowed um, areas where maybe there had been a little bit more Western dominance and influence for the local church to really be able to step up again and play that role in their communities. And I've seen that across the board with our partners and we've gotten notifications from what their teams have been doing to, you know, come up with a new game plan for how they're going to care for their community and reach their neighbor and Um, it's really beautiful to see. And I think, yeah, the, what the global church does a really good job at that. Um, you've had tons of experience over the years and you've shared some of it, but kind of for you reflecting on your past 15 years of work, um, what has been the biggest lesson or humbling experience that you've, um, had in the work of mobilizing the church and the community?
0: Um, Wow. That's a, that's an interesting question. And it's uh, to say, you know, to take 15 years and say, you know, one experience, I'd say the biggest lesson and, you know, it's interesting how you frame that question. I'd say the biggest lesson is humility.
1: Hmm.
0: Put it that way. You know, when I, when I started off at 19, 20, 21, you know, just fresh out of Bible school, got my bachelor's in theology and all of this stuff, you think, yeah, we're going to take the world for Jesus. We know everything. We're going to do this, you know? And it's like, what I've learned is to listen Mm. and to be humble when I deal with people. And this is one of the traits, I think, even of Jesus that we often, like, overlook is the God of the universe, the one who is knowledge himself, like all the knowledge of the universe, right? Every math problem, every physics problem, every number resides in him, okay? He is the creator. And you look at how he dealt with people. I mean, the guy asked questions. Why would would the creator of all information in the world, all wisdom of the world, ask anyone anything, right? And yet his approach in dealing with people was always, "Who who do people say I am? Who do you think I am? What do you, Who do you think your neighbor is? Who do you think? He's constant. And I get it. Some people, some preachers will sort of, you know, you use that to say, you know, Jesus is very strategic in how we ask questions to make people think. And I'm not denying that. But my point is, the approach is a humble approach. The approach is not, I already know, not that he didn't know, of course he knew, but the approach is one of humility. And so I, the biggest thing I've learned, uh, Caitlin, is. When I go to the community, when I try to talk to a you know elected official or I talk to somebody that, you know, that is doing like recently we we helped a church start a food bank and we needed to connect with some major donors who would donate food to us. You know, I didn't go there to them saying, you know, this is what we want, or this is how we're gonna do it. You know, I said to them, guys, you have so much more experience than us. Like we mm-hmm. are no honestly, you I want to learn from you. Well, how would you say we should do this? How would you and, and it's like that I, there used to be a time in my life where I had a lot of like, what I would call like, Christian pride, like you know, or, or Jesus pride. Like I know Jesus, so I'm better than you, and I know more than you. And it's like, no. Even if someone doesn't know Jesus, if they've been in a community and been working in that in that community with those families for five years or ten years, there's there there's so much that they can add to us as individuals and as an organization as a church. And it's like I always say this, Lord, I want to be humble. I want to be the learner in the room, regardless of where you put me. And and so that's the number one thing I would say, Caitlin, that I've learned is humility. Anywhere you go, you know, like it's like the Bible talks about don't put yourself in the front row seat Sit at the back, Mm -hmm. you know. And you know what I found is amazing. Also, Caitlin, is I've literally in cities where we've gone in with this attitude, Mm -hmm. we've been invited to counsel. We've been, in, we've been given commendations and, and certificates and recognition and all, never asked for it. We never even nominated ourselves. Some other person in the community nominated us and nominated me because of some of the work we did. And we're, we were just informed after the fact, right? And so my point is the, the, the attention may come, like the, the recognition may come, but you never go in for that. You always go in as the person in the back row to say, how can I help? Yeah. And I don't know as much as you do. I'd like to learn from you. And I think when we take on that humility, as, as the Bible talks about in Philippians chapter three, about Jesus, when we humble ourselves, even in a natural sense in our communities, God will find ways to exalt us. So people look at us and say, wow, I want, I want the Jesus that he serves. I want the God that they follow and they talk about. It. Because if that's their attitude and that's the way they deal with people, that's attractive.
1: Wow. Wow. Yeah, that was really good. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for everything that you've done over the years. We're so excited to have you on staff and to really get our east Eastern provinces set up with churches across the board and to be engaged in our local community. Um, Thank you to everyone who listened in on today's podcast. I hope that you were stirred by something that Finu shared. And yeah, just be encouraged to go love more boldly and be consistent in the relationships that are around you. And yeah, take this idea of being humble, go into situations as the listener um, and move forward in that way. So thank you again. I hope you'll stay tuned for other episodes of Anything Goes Mission Takeover.